Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up on today's episode, we look back at a disastrous first two games for the Jets and what needs to change heading into Minnesota. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Hope you guys enjoyed your weekend. Hopefully Saturday night didn't put too much of a dent into things, but oh my lord, it's about to hit the fan here in Winnipeg. We're only two games into the year. Now, there's not a lot of positivity to throw around right now. I mean, the one sliver of hope I can maybe throw your guys' way the last time the Jets started the year 0-2, they went on to the Western Conference Finals. And, and that was a pair of ugly blowout losses to start the year back in 2017. So while um, all might look lost right now, we've still got 80 games to go in the regular season. So that's great. And, and the Jets aren't Chicago. So, I mean, that, that may be about it. <laughs> uh, not a lot of positives to take after the club's loss in San Jose Saturday, but I guess we'll try to grab what we can. But let's get right into it here. We'll talk about the game in San Jose Saturday night before looking ahead to the matchup in Minnesota Tuesday night. I don't want to say must win three games into the season, but whatever the level below must win is, maybe the wild game has a bit more importance than game three really should in the regular season. But that was because game two was a nightmare. You know, it it was a closer score than the season opener, Yet, I would say that I felt more disheartened after the loss to San Jose than I did in the matchup against the Ducks. Because at least the Jets controlled play 5-on-5 against Anaheim. It was just poor special teams that really did them in against the Ducks. That was not the case against the Sharks. I thought San Jose absolutely took it to the Jets 5-on-5. And then we saw the penalty kill rear its ugly head once again. And even the power play wasn't all that much better despite Mark Scheifele rejoining the lineup for the first time this year. Now, there were a lot of moments that I think Jets fans could point to and say, yeah, that's worthy of of angst and and maybe some outrage even. But the biggest one to me, and I think the majority of Jets fans afterwards felt this way too, was I thought with the additions on defense and the increased urgency and the good vibes heading into the season – that this team was supposed to be better defensively. And last Saturday's game against San Jose sure as hell looked like a lot of games we've seen 
over the past couple of seasons with a makeshift blue line. And and that to me was the most concerning part of that loss was that the defensive issues that have plagued this team for so long just continue to rear their ugly head despite guys like Dylan and Schmidt coming into the lineup now. So at some point it has to change and it has to change quickly here because there's really no excuse for this team to be as bad inside their own half of the ice as they were against the Sharks. I mean, again, lost coverages, poor turnovers. The back-checking was just abysmal time and time again. And look, we a lot of people in Winnipeg have gotten on Mark Shifley for his lack of defensive play for a few years, and I think it's warranted. But Kyle Connor needs to get his act together too defensively. I mean, he's been awful for a number of years now, and I thought it was one of his weaker games defensively against San Jose, whether it was being weak on the boards, losing puck battles, turning the puck over too easily, and then it was all capped off with just a weak-ass back check on one of the San Jose goals before Connor eventually cross-checks one of the players into Connor Hellebuck, almost injuring Hellebuck afterwards. I mean, it's just, it's plays like that that I think really piss a lot of people off just because it doesn't take you know, Patrice Bergeron-level instincts or intellect to, to be at least good defensively. You're just asking for more effort. And I think I think Kyle Connor is more than capable of being an average defender, but he's just got to flat-out try harder. It's simple as that, and if he's not going to give you the effort in his own half of the ice, then sit him down for a while. And we've seen Palmeries do that with Mark Shifley last season, right? I, I just... I think it's uh, enough's enough when it comes to avoidable defensive mishaps. It's going to happen throughout a game, throughout a season. I get that. But there are certain plays that just can't happen. And too often it happens when the top line is out there on the ice. And we'll we'll see if that changes moving forward. But that, to me, was the biggest worry coming out of that loss against San Jose was just the fact that time and time again... This team looked so vulnerable defensively. And against the San Jose team that while they played, they skated hard. I mean, they skated way better than the Jets did. But that's a team that's likely to finish outside of the playoff picture. I mean, at the very least, nowhere near contender status. The Jets have to take their game to a much, much higher level. I mean, against Minnesota, let alone against the Colorados and and some of the actual big heavyweights across the NHL. So... Something's got to change one way or the other, whether it's the players or the coach. Like, s- somebody has to step up here and, and change things quickly because I don't want to watch another 80 games of what we saw in San Jose on Saturday night. It, it, this team is too talented to play that poorly time and time again. So let's fix that up for Minnesota, shall we? Sounds good. Now, there were a few other things that ticked off a lot of people, myself included, in that game. This one I didn't notice as much while it was going on but was kind of given focus to it afterwards. And I, I was blown away. I Again, I don't understand the logic behind doing this. But Blake Wheeler led the Winnipeg Jets, amongst forwards at least, in time on ice in that game. That That's not necessarily the big sin there. But 21 minutes, 20 seconds, in my opinion, is way too much to hand to a 36, 35-year-old Blake Wheeler, especially early on in the season when the games don't mean as much later on. But 320 coming on the penalty kill is just ridiculous. I mean, come on. Even the most 
ardent Blake Wheeler supporter is going to say there's no reason the captain should be playing, and it's not, sorry, 329 on the penalty kill in that game, leading all Jets forwards in shorthanded time on ice. I, I just don't get it. I, I do not understand the logic behind that decision-making. And that's not on Blake Wheeler. I mean, he's not the one, as far as I know, he's not the one throwing himself over the boards time and time again. This is on Paul Maurice. There's no reason to overtax a guy in his mid-30s in Blake Wheeler this much this early in the season when you sign guys like Riley Nash in the offseason specifically for this purpose. I thought that was the whole point of a fourth line. You know, a line that was... You know, not built on all offense guys, but they would have a couple penalty killers down there and they would free up the offensive guys in the top six to go out there and do damage five on five, right? It's just crazy to me that Blake Wheeler was 329 of the penalty kill and even Paul Stasny 250, right? You can't tell me that Jansen Harkins wouldn't have been just as effective on the penalty kill. Or even a, a Svechnikov or a Veselainen like we saw in the preseason there. It's not like this penalty kill's doing much either, right? I mean, you're not rolling out the number one unit in the NHL night after night. This is one of the worst penalty kills in the league. Or at least it was, it has been to start the season. I, I, To me, you just cannot be giving Blake Wheeler that much time on ice compared to the rest of the team. If he, if he, if he leads the team in time on ice, getting 18.30 a night, well, that's just fine with me. But 21-20, there's no way Blake Wheeler should be playing that much, especially when he's not the Blake Wheeler of five years ago. I think he can still be a really, really effective player for this team, but that number's got to come way down. I would normally say Nikolai Ehlers' time on ice has got to go way up. He got 19 minutes, which isn't all that much, but maybe the most promising thing is the fact that he led all Jets forwards in time on ice, five on five. So even strength, he was the team's most used forward. So I, I think it's fair, you know, we get on Paul Maurice for his lineup deployment, the time on ice and everything like that. And if you're going to call him out for when he does something bad, in your opinion, I think we should give him some props for doing something right as well. And it was nice to see at least Nikolai Ehlers get the most even strength minutes in that game against San Jose. But again, having said that, Blake Wheeler should not be killing three minutes worth of penalties in a game. Paul Stasi should not be killing two and a half minutes of penalty kill per game. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be other guys on the roster that can do that job and alleviate some of the wear and tear on two of the oldest forwards on the roster. So I I, I was blown away. It, to me, that cannot continue moving forward. I wouldn't even use Blake Wheeler as a penalty killer either. And not that he's incapable of it, but... I mean, come on, we, we we got a whole season to go through here. There's no reason to use up all your bullets through the first couple of games of the season. So that, that was something that bothered a lot of people, and I would agree with that. There's got to be a better way moving forward, and I think a guy like Jansen Harkins is more than capable, even a Christian Veselainen too. You know, that that's why he's on the fourth line, to kill penalties, throw him in that role, and take some of the minutes off the guys that could use that rest and could, you know, get more time be a little more jacked up and ready to go five on five. Now, I mentioned Nikolai Ehlers leading forwards in even strength time, which was a big step forward, I think. Maybe part of the reason that he did so was the fact that, you know, in one of the, the lone positives of the night, his centerman had maybe his best game as a Jet. I, I mean, I thought Pierre-Luc Dubois was outstanding in the game. He popped off the page basically from the first shift onwards, able to get his first goal of the season, in kind of the 
exact way you want Pierre-Luc Dubois to get a goal. Being just a, a big presence in front of the net and cleaning up some of the garbage. I, he, that's going to be a really successful role for him this season because you have a guy like Nikolai Ehlers on his wing flying all over the ice and, and taking control inside the offensive zone. If he could be a physical presence in and around the front of the net, he's going to find himself with a fair amount of points this season. And I just thought he was much more physical, much more engaged throughout the game. So a really positive sign to see Pierre-Luc Dubois have a big game. You know, speaking of time on ice, as the season moves forward, I would have absolutely no problem with the Shifley line, whoever's on it, and the Dubois line getting basically the same amount of time, five on five. And maybe you go with a hot hand each night as to who gets more time on ice. But if Dubois and Ehlers and Kopp, or if it's Stasny on the wing too, if that second line plays like that throughout the course of the season, that, that's a really, really promising sign for this team's offense because they may need it. There may not be a whole lot of offensive punch in the bottom six. Although maybe I shouldn't say that because Jansen Harkins had a really, really good game. I mean, he really jumped off the page and he was actually the one that saw his ice time take a big leap because of that, I mean, obviously the goal played a huge part in that. But I mean, as far as forechecking went, he was maybe the most effective Winnipeg Jets forward against the San Jose Sharks in that department. I, I've really liked his game since training camp and since the preseason. And if he keeps this up, he's... His Jansen Harkins looks like he just might be the Mason Appleton fill-in that the big question mark was going into the season. Who's going to be the guy that can fill that role and maybe give you, you know, 30, as many as 40 points this year? We'll see if Harkins can reach that total offensively, but he looked really, really strong. And to me, that spot, you know, when everyone's healthy and, and who's going to grab that, to me, that's Jansen Harkins to lose right now. I think Christian Veselainen and Evgeny Svechnikov are, are your fourth-line forwards. But Jansen Harkins was really, really impressive in that game. Unfortunately, he got the jump up because Cole Perfetti, he had a bit of a rough one. You know, when you look at the analytics, uh, he was the team's worst performer in terms of Corsi and expected goals for. And he kind of got stapled to the bench a little bit late in the game. I know some fans were upset, you know, down two goals. You know, you're trying to chase some offense. Why not put Cole Perfetti out there? Because that's what he's good for. I get that line of thinking, but he's got to earn it a little bit too. And and he had a rough game. It just wasn't his best showing. I had no problem in the in the moment there going with Jansen Harkins and, and giving him some, some increased minutes. It ended up working out too because he scored the third goal for the Jets. But I, I don't think that was a case of, of Paul Maurice, you know, Going with results over process, I thought he was better than Cole Perfetti in the game. And there's no reason just to gift wrap Cole Perfetti those minutes if he's not earning them. Jansen Arkins did, and he made the best of his opportunity. So good for him. Although I would like to see Cole Perfetti get a little more opportunity as well. We'll get to that in just a little bit here going into this game against Minnesota with some lineup changes that are in place. But not the best outing for Cole Perfetti. Not the end of the world. It's going to happen to a, to a young kid like that. But I, I, you know, I would agree with what Paul Maurice did there, giving Jansen Harkins the nod, and it ended up paying off for the Jets as well. The final piece of business I want to get into from that game in San Jose, you know, Connor Hellebuck's numbers are, and this is quite obvious, not very Connor Hellebuckian to start the season. You know, giving up four goals on 31 shots in the game at 871 save percentage now through two games, 0-2. 
and an 849 save percentage of goals against above four. I mean, Carter Hellebuck, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people would agree with this, is playing way, way better than those numbers have shown. You know, I, I thought I thought he was fine against Anaheim. I thought he was really good against San Jose, actually. You know, even one of the goals that was scored against him, I think he made two huge stops back-to-back, and it was the third one just being completely left out to dry by his defense there. Two power play goals, that's, you know, four power play goals against in two games. That's always tough on a goalie's numbers as well. I mean, nobody's worried, I don't think. But if you are, don't. Connor Hellebuck's going to be just fine. And I think if he plays like he did against San Jose, the Jets as a whole are going to be fine. He just needs a bit more help. <laughs> you got to play. I know he's a Vesna winner, but you got to play some defense in front of Connor Hellebuck. Hopefully that changes very, very quickly <laughs> because the tough matchups coming up in Minnesota here. Uh, and we don't know when Eric Comrie's first start is going to be, but it's you know fair to say right now there's not a whole lot of safety net if Connor Hellebuck does eventually struggle or if those numbers continue for him here. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that as we move forward. Now, next up on the schedule, we've mentioned it a couple times, a third straight road game to start off the season, this time a division rival on tap, the Minnesota Wild, the high-flying Minnesota Wild all of a sudden. Let's get into that one and some big news as well as far as the lineup goes. In just a second, though, because we got to give a quick shout-out to our friends over at DraftKings. NFL fans, are you hungry for a big win this week? Because DraftKings, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. If you bet $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. And if Sportsbook isn't available in your state or province just yet, don't worry. DraftKings won't leave you with an empty plate. I'm on fire. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest, which are super easy to play and super easy to win some money as well. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, so the Jets head into Minnesota. This schedule sucks, by the way, for the Jets to start the season. You know, you got the, the trip out to Cali to start the year. Then you head all the way back to Minnesota. A couple of games at home, and then they go right back out to California after that. So, I mean, some winnable games after this one against the Wild. So, I mean, that's the positive, but that's a that's a decent amount of travel for the Jets to start off the season. So that part of it sucks. But back to the game against the Wild on Tuesday night. A much, much different Minnesota squad than than we, really we've ever been used to. But the big story going into the game, Blake Wheeler into COVID protocol. His status up for debate for that game against the Wild. Important to remember, just because Blake Wheeler goes into COVID protocol doesn't necessarily mean that there was a positive test result. So we'll wait and see on that one 
find out sometime Tuesday afternoon if Blake Wheeler is going to be able to suit up. But we saw what the Jets might look like if Blake Wheeler isn't ready to go. And my, oh my, were people not happy with the lineup that took place in practice. Maybe not even necessarily the five-on-five um, quadrant, the, the four lines that the Jets are going to throw out there. It was Andrew Cobb that got the bump up to Shifley and Connor's line, moving to his offside. Paul Stasny jumping up with Dubois and Ehlers. Lowry, Harkins, Veselainen, which we saw, I mean, Veselainen at least get another crack at that spot after his stint in the preseason. And then a fourth line of Riley Nash, Cole Perfetti, and Evgeny Svechnikov. I mean, I, I can understand Paul Maurice going to that lineup for a game or two. I gotta be honest, though, I would have loved to have seen Cole Perfetti get a shot somewhere in that top six. You know, whether it was Copper Stasny staying on the third line, I mean, I know he didn't have the best game. He didn't have a good game either against San Jose, but I kind of like giving the young kid a vote of confidence like that. Put him with some really, really talented, skilled players. And see what he can do. And if it doesn't work even after a period, then you could throw Copper Stasny back up there. But I, I think I would have went with Cole Perfetti just to see what he could do playing with either an Ehlers or playing with Shifley and Connor. But those changes, I, I think, were expected. What was unexpected was what happened when the power play hit the ice for practice. Because the top unit went Shifley, Connor... No surprises there. Dubois, no surprises there. Nate Schmidt jumps up to replace Neil Pionk. You know, maybe a slight surprise, but Nate Schmidt has been good on the power play before. But it was Riley Nash joining that unit. Fourth line center Riley Nash was on the team's first power play instead of guys like Nikolai Ehlers or a Cole Perfetti. I'll let Paul Maurice explain why he had Riley Nash practicing with the team's number one power play with Blake Wheeler potentially out of the lineup. Yeah, I mean, he has. He's played it before. It's it's all hands here. It's the right hand on that side of the ice. Uh, so it would be almost the same setup that we ran last year when Blake was on the, the goal line as a right-handed shot on that unit. and want a lefty up top, so Nate Schmidt will go there. Look, I, I think Neil Pionk is better on the power play than Nate Schmidt, but the power play hasn't been great to start the year, so I, I'm okay with the move. That, I don't mind. But again, the same way I, I really fail to understand the reasoning behind Blake Wheeler playing 21 and a half minutes and three and a half minutes of shorthanded time, I have that same befuddlement when it comes to Riley Nash being on the power play. I don't think the team needs to be so rigid in terms of who shoots what hand that Riley Nash gets the call up over guys like Nikolai Ehlers and Cole Perfetti. Because look, Blake Wheeler is good on the power play, not because he's right-handed, but because he's Blake freaking Wheeler. Like, that's why he's good. Look, him being right-handed or left-handed, him shooting right-handed or left-handed has no bearing on how successful the Jets' power play has been this past few seasons. Because a lot of the time, too, he's been working on his natural side. Very rare for a right-handed guy to do that. So it doesn't even necessarily make sense that Riley Nash being a right-handed shooter would make him the first replacement for Blake Wheeler. I'm going to take my chances with a guy like Ehlers or Cole Perfetti behind the goal line there, despite them being left-handed, than putting Riley Nash in that situation. I, I don't get it at all. 
Having said that, I can guarantee because everybody disagrees with it that Riley Nash is going to have two power places in the game against the Wild, get first star, and the Jets win. That's just how these things go. But again, this just, even if you wanted to put Nikola Ehlers on the second power play unit and, and he can run his own unit there, I can understand that. But this just seems tailor-made, especially if he's going to be playing on the fourth line. To have Cole Perfetti on that number one power play unit, use him as a specialist, an offensive specialist in this situation, and that's when he's going to be at his best. He'll have some time and space to work with, some extremely skilled players out there. That, to me, seems to be the obvious move, not to put Riley Nash in there just because he's a right-handed shot. No matter who's there, though, the special teams has to be miles better, obviously, than it's been the first two games. The penalty kill, I'm, I'm seriously worried about. The power play, I'll give a little bit of a break, especially if Wheeler isn't in there. I just think there's too much talent and a history of success for either one of those power play units to get going eventually. I think we'll start to see the goals come soon on the man advantage. But the penalty kill really scares me. I mean, look, it's got to be so much better. And it's not just having Blake Wheeler spend less time as a penalty killer or Paul Stasny spending less time as a penalty killer. This isn't a personnel problem with the shorthanded unit. It's the system that's broken and it's been broken for a long time, hasn't it? I mean, this team is really under Paul Maurice. They've had one average year on the penalty kill and they've had one good to borderline great year on the penalty kill. When they went to the playoffs for the first time against the Ducks, the penalty kill that season was spectacular. Other than that, though, it's been well, well below average. Bottom 10 in the league in some years, it's been bottom five or, or one of the worst penalty kill units in the entire NHL. It's got to change. You got to be more aggressive. I, I think that's the answer here. Just too static, too passive, and too many times we don't even necessarily see the opposing power play score on their first chance because Connor Hellebuck is so good he's going to stop you know whatever shot he sees he's going to stop it 99 times out of 100 but it's the second and third opportunities that are killing the Jets and they're just not capable it seems of either clearing the crease or clearing the puck out I just feel like banking everything on Connor Hellebuck stopping four shots of penalty kill is too much to ask would love to see this team go back to its aggressive nature that it did a number of seasons ago because the penalty kill can really, really sink a hockey club. You can get by with a bad power play. You cannot go far either in the regular season, especially the playoffs, with a really, really bad penalty kill. So Riley Nash being on PP1, that's concerning. To me, it's still not as concerning as the way the penalty kill has performed these past two games. Let's hope it changes Tuesday night. Against the Minnesota Wild, I mean, we could do a quick breakdown of what the Wild are bringing to the table. They come into the game 2-0, actually. And not because of the, the, the new high-flight offensive nature that they do employ. They are not your grandpappy's Minnesota Wild. This isn't the Miku Koivu-led group of years past, defensively sound and, you know, paint-drying, suck-the-life-out-of-you hockey. This team likes to get up and down the ice and make plays offensively. Having said that, though, they have not done that through the first two games. They've been much more like the previous iterations of the Wild. Five goals for, only three against. Cam Talbot, a great, great start for him to kick off the year. And Minnesota is 2-0 on the season. Really, really important game for the Jets to get off the schneid. I mean, you could fall in a regulation loss 
six points back of Minnesota. I, I know there's a lot of runway left, but I mean, six points back at any point of the season is is pretty worrying. Minnesota, obviously, Kaprizov is going to be the guy to watch, but I mean, don't sleep on Joel Eriksson-Eck either. A guy that's probably going to challenge for the Selkie Trophy this season. I imagine he gets tasked with going up against the Mark Scheifele unit. But having said that, the Wild pretty much roll four lines the majority of the game. I mean, their fourth line is averaging 11 and a half, almost 12 minutes per night so far. So Minnesota does a really, really good job of keeping their forwards fresh throughout the game. Even the blue line isn't too far off that either, with Brodine and Dumba getting the majority of the time. But Merrill and, hey, Dmitry Kulikov's out there in Minnesota now. Those two are getting 17 minutes a night as well. So so Minnesota just kind of rolls all 18 skaters throughout the night. It's going to be a tough one for the Jets. But man, if you thought 0-2 was scary, 0-3 with another road trip to come after two straight at home. This is a... Uh, <laughs> This is about as big as a game three of the regular season can get for the Jets. I just really hope at the very least, defensively, we see this team take its game to another level. The offense is eventually going to come, I think. But defensively and on the penalty kill, there's got to be major, major, major improvements. Let's hope it happens against the Minnesota Wild Tuesday night. But that's where we'll leave it for this episode. Thank you guys so much again for listening. We're back at it on Friday, breaking down that game against the Minnesota Wild on Tuesday. We'll also get into the home opener Thursday night against the Anaheim Ducks. So we got a pair of games to break down for you. That's coming up in our next episode on Friday. In the meantime, though, again, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rowicki. Peace.